he's preaching. All right, but my name is Mark Rushworth. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central, and it's uh, my privilege to be preaching this morning. We've been going through Paul's letter to the Ephesians um, over the last number of months, uh, over a year now. We've finally made it to the start of chapter three. And, uh, yep. <laughs> so, we're, it's breakneck speed, really. Um, <laughs> and we're just going to read one verse today. Um, so don't get too excited. Um, verse 1, um, Paul, Paul takes it off on a bunny trail anyway. He, he gets into verse 1, and then he, he, get, he distracts himself. And for the next, like, 12 verses, he goes off on this bunny trail. And, uh, and then he comes back. So uh, we're just going to read verse 1. Paul says, for this reason, you might wonder what reason. Well, the reason that was everything that he said before. So I guess I've got one excuse to go back and re-preach the first two chapters. Um, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Uh, and then he stops and he gets distracted. We'll actually read verse 14. We'll go to verse 14 at the start. He says, for this reason, picks himself up, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I, I pray is basically what he's saying. He's saying, uh, because of what everything I've said before, everything that he's said before is basically um, the fact that the God of the universe created us, knows us, loves us, uh, works in our lives. He's redeemed us through the blood of Jesus even when we were dead in our sins. He's lavished grace on our lives. We were chosen. We were included in Christ. He's filled us with his Holy Spirit. He's raised us up with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly realms. He's prepared good works for us to do. He's brought us into his people, the church. He's broken down the dividing wall between us and God and the Jewish people. Um, us and the Jewish people. He's making the church rise up to become a holy temple, uh, a dwelling where God lives by his spirit. He sees God's great plan at work, working itself out through Israel and then through Jesus and the church and going to the nations. Took me a year to do all that. <laughs> That's what he's referring to. And he says, because of all of that, I'm, I'm praying. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God will strengthen you. He knows we need strength and power to live it all out. And so he's praying. We could look in more detail at that. Maybe we will another week. But today, I really felt it would be good to look at this phrase uh, that Paul uses that we can easily slip over, skip over. He says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. He describes himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. What's he talking about when he says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus? Well, there's two uh, different things that he's really talking about here, two levels of meaning in what he's saying. For Paul, the two merge together under the sovereignty uh, of God. Firstly, he's actually a prisoner in Rome when he's writing this letter. He's actually a prisoner. He was arrested in Jerusalem. He was transported to Rome through quite a long uh, com complicated um, journey, and now he's in prison. That's one reason he's calling himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. The second reason is because he's a prisoner of Christ. He, in other places, he describes himself as a slave of Christ. His life now belongs to God, and in that sense, he's lost his freedom. Um, we've, we've been singing uh, about being no longer slaves this morning, and that's true, and in some ways, we've we, we find freedom in Christ, but in other ways, Paul, Paul says, you know, we, 
I'm not just totally free to do what I want. I've lost that freedom. My life now belongs to Christ. In losing his life, he's actually found it. Jesus said that, didn't he? He said in Matthew 25, 16, sorry, verse 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. So Paul sees the hand of God on his life, taking him captive. And that isn't an easy circumstances that he's going through, that he's been through. We've heard this morning uh, just about how people's lives are not easy. The Christian life's not easy, uh, but God takes hold of us in that. God is with us in all of those things. We'll see it in Paul's life. We'll see it in our life too. First of all, we want to look at the account uh, where Paul actually gets arrested in Jerusalem and ends up being a prisoner in Rome. And to find that, we're going to look at Acts and chapter 21. Now, the, the verses, the key verses are going to be on the screen, and you can find it in your Bibles if you've, uh, if you've got one with you, Acts 21. I'm not going to read it all. Uh, you can refer to it. I'll kind of tell the story. You can just check that I'm not straying from, from the text. Paul has traveled to Jerusalem, and uh, despite a prophetic word that comes from a prophet called Agabus, and Agabus comes to Paul and his traveling companions, and he says, uh, he warns Paul, really, or he tells Paul, he says, you're going to go to Jerusalem, and you're going to be arrested, you're going to be bound, uh, and, and he actually takes um, his belt, and he, he kind of... Um, you know, ties his own hands and feet with it. And he says, in this way, you're going to be bound. You're going to be handed over uh, to the authorities in Jerusalem. Um, so Paul's companions hear this. And of course, they're, they're like saying, Paul, you can't go to Jerusalem then. Don't go. You know, you, you've got this prophet coming, telling you what's going to happen if you go to Jerusalem. So just, just don't go. And Paul says, no, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm trusting that this is God's will for me. I'm trusting that even though I'm going to be arrested, that's what God wants. And, and Paul's companions cry and they plead and, no, please don't go. And Paul insists. It's not that Paul doesn't believe the prophecy. He, he says, I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He says, I, you know, it, I might be in prison. I'm, I'm willing to die. And it, Luke says after that, oh, we gave up <laughs> and said, the Lord's will be done. <laughs> Paul was convinced that this was what God had for him, difficult as it was. And it seemed crazy to his companions. In the end, even they accepted that it was the Lord's will. And they said, okay, the Lord's will be done. So Paul goes to Jerusalem. Um, Paul had become convinced that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, um, was for the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, as well as the Jewish people. Uh, but Jerusalem is a, is a dangerous place to start talking about that, because Jerusalem is primarily filled with Jewish people, and people at the temple, all, you know, Jewish people at the temple worshiping God. They're God's chosen people. Um, they were God's chosen people. And so, as Paul's going and speaking about God reaching the Gentiles, that really stirred things up with people was really difficult message and uh, caused a lot of issues. It became the talk of the town. And after a number of days, Paul was at the temple 
And a group of Jews are there, and they start to stir up trouble in the crowd. They start to say, you know, this man is preaching against the, the Jewish people and against the Jewish law. And, you know, there was a Gentile from Ephesus, actually, that, that he, Paul brought into the temple. And it, what a terrible thing that was. It, it wasn't actually even true. He just happened to be with him and, and standing by him. But actually, they were adding two and two and making five. But people are stirred up. And they start running from everywhere, and they grab Paul, and they drag him from the temple, and they start to kill him. They start to attack him and to kill him. The Roman commander gets news of this, and so he rushes down to see what's going on with some soldiers, and he's like, what on earth's going on? They arrest Paul, first of all, just to try and get him out of this, and then he says, what's going on? You know, what's happening here? Um, But the crowd are so noisy and violent, he can't even tell what's going on. He can't figure out what's happening. Eventually, he has to get the soldiers to carry Paul out away from the crowd because the crowd is so noisy and they're so violent and he carries them out and Paul is arrested as Agabus prophesied he would be. And he ends up going before various authorities and eventually via shipwrecks and other things being taken to Rome. In the end, after spending a a number of uh, years in prison there, he dies at the hands of Nero, the Emperor Nero. History tells us that. The uh, Book of Acts doesn't tell us that. Um, It ends before that point. But that's what happens to Paul. He ends up in Rome, and he never never really comes out of that imprisonment. Paul is willing to go with all of this. He's willing to go with all of this. He sees God's hand in it all. That's how committed Paul is to God, and to the message that God's given him to proclaim to the Gentiles, that the Gentiles have now found favor with God. So that's how Paul came to be a prisoner in Rome. And so he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. But what else is he referring to? Well, he came to be a prisoner of Christ a while before that. And we read about that in the book of Acts as well. And we read about it in Acts and chapter 9. And again, uh, the verses will relevant verses will come up on the screen. Paul, otherwise known as Saul of Tarsus, um, he was speeding to Damascus on the Damascus road, and he had an obsession. And his obsession was to find and arrest believers, Christians, um, maybe even to kill them. That was what he was planning on doing. He hated Christians. He hated the church. And he was on a mission to arrest them. Well, instead of arresting them, it was Paul who ended up being arrested. And it was almost like, you know, he, he, there was suddenly this light and this voice, and he fell to the floor. It's almost like one of these cop shows that you see where the police come and they say, get on the ground! And they face down on the ground before they're arrested. That's what Paul was pretty much like. He's face down on the ground before Jesus because God has come to arrest him. And, uh, and, and, he's, and that's it. His life is changed. He's been captured. He's been arrested by Jesus. He didn't protest. He went willingly away. The sovereign power of God had got hold of him, got hold of his life. And it was totally changed. It was totally changed at that moment on the Damascus Road. Interestingly, Paul didn't have an opportunity to respond to a message uh, that was preached. He didn't 
He wasn't asked to respond to an invitation to invite Jesus into his life. He was arrested. He was arrested. God is free to do that. God is free to do He's God. And some people are a little uncomfortable with that. And, you know, I hear people say things like, oh, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's really polite. He, uh, he doesn't go where he's not invited. That wasn't Paul's experience. <laughs> Paul wasn't inviting him in. God came. God had a call on his life, and he's like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And he gets him in a glorious way. Some of us create a gospel where we're in control and where we make decisions. God's far bigger than that. I mean, yeah, Paul makes a decision to go. He goes with what God's doing. But he's on the ground when he makes that decision. He's a prisoner of Christ. Yeah, he joyfully and gladly goes with it. And Paul goes where Jesus tells him to. He goes to Ananias' house where he's filled with the Holy Spirit and then he's baptized. I mean, what a massive statement for Paul to be baptized. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees and he's baptized into Christ. What a clear statement saying he's totally changed sides. And instead of, instead of persecuting and attacking Christians and attacking the church, he starts building the church. He starts planting churches. He does everything he can to strengthen churches. He's died to his old way of life and a new life has begun. And baptism is a significant moment in the life of any believer. If you've not been baptized, I would urge you to consider being baptized, but it's a significant moment. It's a public declaration that your life now belongs to God forever. It's not something to be taken lightly. For now, Paul is in it. Whatever comes his way, he's with God. There's no going back. He loves God. He's committed to him with all his heart. And from that point on, we read the account in the book of Acts and in some of his letters, Paul's life is full of hardships. Paul's life is full of hardships. In 1 Corinthians and uh, chapter 4, verse 11 onwards, he says, To this hour we go hungry and thirst. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. That's his life. And then a couple of verses later, he says, I urge you to imitate me. <laughs> and you can imagine people reading and going, what the heck? <laughs> I urge you to imitate me? He's just said you're the, with the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. Be like me. <laughs> Oh, sounds great. For Paul, this is normal Christianity. This is the deal. These are the terms. He's not resentful about it. He's not self-pitying. When he writes to Timothy, Timothy's got a few issues with it. Well, this is difficult, isn't it? You know, these are things to, to get our heads around and wrestle with. It's not, we don't take these things easily. And Timothy, who's Paul's disciple, He's got some problems with what's happening to Paul. He's like, oh, I'm not sure I really like this. Paul says to him, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And he says, I know who I've believed. I'm convinced he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Sometimes we need encouraging that God is in these difficult situations 
You know, God can get hold of our lives and we, we can have this notion that, oh, everything's going to be wonderful. Actually, everything's going to be tough. But we find God in it. And that's the testimony that we've had this morning, isn't it? From, from Betty, from Jackie. Uh, you know, we find God in those moments. That's what Jacqueline was saying. She's saying, this, is, this has been a difficult life. But she says, but I'm encouraging you to, to join and, and to embrace the same thing. Embrace Jesus. Even though life's difficult, you'll find God in it. Paul's going to proclaim this message. He's going to love Jesus whatever is thrown at him. Hardship, arrest, imprisonment, death. He's not only a Christian when times are good. He's in it till the end. Whatever happens to him in life, he's completely committed because he realizes he's a prisoner of Christ. His life is no longer his own. It's Christ's. And he explains that in a number of his letters to the churches. It's a theme he keeps coming back to. Uh, in Romans, for example, Romans 14, verse 17, he says, None of us lives for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, he says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You're not your own. And again, Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, that's what we've been singing about, we're no longer slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that's now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. <laughs> yeah, I've been set free from slavery to become a slave. <laughs> that's what Paul's saying. I'm no longer a slave to sin. We are children of God. We are actually invited into it. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are children of God. But we're slaves <laughs> to God. Paul's basically saying none of us are free. We set free from slavery and then immediately become slaves to righteousness, slaves to Christ, or as Paul says, prisoners of Christ. But that produces in us a zeal and a passion for God, a real zeal for God. You see it in Paul's life, and you see it in other people's life who are living the same way. Some people are very suspicious of that kind of zeal and passion for God, aren't they? When I first started to follow Christ, I was 19 years old, and I suddenly became very passionate and zealous for God. I'd been attending an Anglican church before that, mainly for the social events that were going on, but I'd, I'd come to, uh, God kind of arrested me at university, in my first week of university. And so when I came back and started visiting my friends, my family, who were uh, where I'd grown up, they just thought I'd gone crazy. They thought, what is going on with you, Mark? Because I was completely different and I was very zealous. And so I went to my Anglican church and people at my Anglican church said, you know, this is just a phase you're going through, Mark. This excitement about Jesus will fade, you know. <laughs> I mean, they were speaking from their experience. I was like, oh my word. Um, 33 years later, hopefully that hasn't happened. Some people were worried that I joined a cult um, because I was so committed to everything that was happening in the, in the church. And, and I stopped doing a number of things that I used to do as well. You know, I, I stopped getting drunk. I stopped going out to clubs uh, and, and other things as well. Um, I started talking about Jesus all of the time. Um, and, and it probably didn't help that I was now part of a, 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 a I wasn't part of a mainstream denomination. I, I, I was part of a group uh, of churches that we're actually part of still here called New Frontiers. 
Um, and people hadn't heard of New Frontiers, so it made it look even more like a cult. Um, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It, it wasn't a cult. It's worth saying that at this point, because it increasingly uh, we've become aware of spiritual abuse in, in some in some religious groups or, 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 or even churches where a spiritual leader, a religious leader has got very controlling and starts to control every aspect of people's lives. You only have to go on Netflix to look up um, some of the stories of, 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 of people who've been stuck in some of these things. And even in mainstream churches, some leadership can get abusive, can get overly controlling of people's lives. Um, and obviously that is wrong. And it, it's understandable that people can ask questions like, has, has someone taken your freedom away? You know, suddenly you're going to these meetings every Sunday and you're going to meetings on midweek and you're getting involved in all your church activities and you're, you're inviting people to Alpha and you seem to be giving money to the church and quite a bit of money to the church. And is someone, is someone forcing you to do that? Is someone turning the screws? And maybe you've stopped going to the places that you used to go. Maybe you've stopped watching the TV shows you used to watch and the movies you used to watch and listening to different music. And maybe you don't hang out with the friends that you used to hang out with. And maybe you've stopped ha having sex with your partner if you're not married to them. And so people can ask the question, you know, what's going on here in your life? Is someone controlling you? Is there a person? Are you part of this? Are you part of a cult? As I've said, that can happen. And that is clearly wrong. No person or people should have that manipulative control over you. But when God gets hold of you, when God gets hold of you, all of those things do change. Because God changes our heart. And actually, we don't go with our hand behind our back. We go willingly. We go willingly because our heart's changed. Paul is totally committed. And it's not brainwashing or something else. It's God at work. It's God at work. Yes, we're prisoners. Yes, we're slaves. But we've come to obey from the heart. That's what the Bible says. We come to obey from the heart because, because it, our hearts are changed. Paul wholeheartedly went with what God had for him because the love of God had been poured into his heart. And it affects every area of our life. Every area of our life. Every choice that we make. It affects what we do, what we say, where we go. It overrides everything we'd previously known. And Paul had had, had, had a wholly different life. He'd, he'd got a lot going for him before then. He'd had a lot going for him. He had a good upbringing. He had status as a Pharisee. He had so much. He outlines it in Philippians, and then he says, now I consider all that a loss for the sake of Christ. In fact, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, the so much better worth of knowing Christ Jesus, for whom's sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He's saying that willingly himself. He's saying, I had all of this, all of this, and now I think it's garbage because I've seen something so much better because God's got hold of me. And back in chapter 1 of Philippians, he says, now for me to live is Christ. That's my life. To live is Christ. He says to die, even better, I'll be with him, it's gain. But to live is Christ. He's been captivated by him. He's been taken captive. He's a prisoner of Christ. What about your life? 
What about your life? Are you, would you describe yourself as a prisoner of Christ? Have you been taken captive by Christ? I wonder what the most important thing in your life is. I wonder how you look back on all of the other things. What is it that's the most important thing in your life? Is it your job? Is that what your life's all about? Getting the next promotion and the next pay rise? Or is it your education? Is your life about working hard to get the best degree from the best university? Or is it sport? Sports, is that your life? It is for many people. Many people's schedules work and revolve all around the sporting schedules and then other things get slotted into the gaps. Is that your life? Or is it family? That's another big one. Is that the driving force in your life? Your parents, your children? Is that what your decisions are based around? How much of an influence do family pressures have on your decision making? Paul says, Jesus says, you, you've got to hate your family. Now, he doesn't mean it literally, you hate them. But it's almost as though you hate them because your life is Christ. For Paul, it was Christ. To live is Christ. His decisions were based around Christ. It's difficult. It's difficult because even if you're a follower of Jesus, the world can suck you into its way of thinking and acting. And these values, focus on your career, make sure your kids have all the same opportunities that everyone else's do. Live for vacations. I've told the story before. I'll tell it again. Um, Joe loves this story. <laughs> I, think, I think it must be about eight years since I've told it. Um, I got sucked into this one. I used to go on TV game shows in the UK. That was kind of one of my hobbies. It's <laughs> got on a TV game show. Um, and, uh, and I went on this one, and it was filmed live. Uh, many of them were just pre-recorded. This one was live. It's called Wordplay. And, uh, and, and you go on and you answer all these questions. But you see these TV game shows. Sometimes in between the, in between the rounds, they'll, the presenter, the host, will ask questions of you. And, oh, tell us a little bit about yourself or whatever it might be. And uh, th they often ask the question, oh, if, if you win the money, you know, the money that's at the end, if you win the money, what are you going to go and do with it? I used to hate being asked that question, um, partly because sometimes I didn't know. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I think, like, once I did win and gave the money to the church, but I didn't really want to say that publicly. I didn't want to say, oh, I'm going to, and so I, I used to, oh, I don't know. So I used to get, I used to get into just saying something. And this particular time, I was going on vacation the next week um, to Spain. And, um, and so I said, oh, well, I'm going on vacation next week. So, you know, maybe I'll get some ni nice meals and we'll do some excursions or whatever. Uh, anyway, it's fine. Carry on. I didn't win. Um, but if you came second, you got invited onto the show like the following time. But I was going on vacation, so it was a, a week or, or so later. They invited me back, and there I am again, second time around, live show, same presenter, um, doing all the questions, get to the final two again. And lo and behold, she asked me exactly the same question, um, which I hadn't even thought she would. Oh, if you, if you, if you win the money, what are you going to do? This is a live show. So I'm like, I've got to answer something. I've got to say something. Um, so I just, I just kind of was like, oh, um, well, maybe I'll, spend, maybe I'll spend it on a vacation. And she said, oh, you've just come back from a vacation, haven't you? Um, <laughs> to which, without even thinking, I just said, oh, yeah. I said, live for the vacations. That's my motto in life. <laughs> and then I'm just like, 
oh my word, what, what am I even saying? I felt like, a bit like Peter who denied knowing Jesus, you know, it was like, oh my word, I wanted to die, and it's a live show, and I've just, and I, all I'm thinking about is everyone watching at church, you know, and tuning in, and I, my pastor's just saying he lives for the vacation. And the, the next thing I know, she's firing these questions at me, and I'm just like, I don't know, pass, pass. <laughs> I don't know. Live for the vacation. Oh, my word. It's so easy for us to slip into it. So easy for us to slip into the, the way of the world. Society says, just get a good education. Put your kids in sports. Don't move away from your parents. Do, you know, certainly don't go to a different church if you're in the same city. Get a good job. Enjoy your vacations. That's what life's all about. That's not what life's all about. That's not what life's all about. It's not that if there's any more time for God after all of those things, you can kind of slot him in. Sometimes we make decisions that people don't like. Paul's companions didn't like that he was going to Jerusalem. People, you know, but you know that Christ has called you. There's going to be kickbacks sometimes if you confront any of these idols. But for Paul to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can't lose Christ if you live for him. Everything else is going to go. Health's going to go. Sports is going to go. Teams will lose quickly, especially if you follow the Blue Jays or the Maple Leafs. Um, <laughs> families will go. Wealth will go. <laughs> Mind will go. Knowledge will go. Christ is eternal. Jim Elliott says, he's no fool to lose who loses what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. That's what Jim Elliott said. He's no fool who loses what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. Paul lets go of everything he has to gain Christ, to be found in him. What a prize. What a prize. And he says, I've become a prisoner of Christ. And he's glorying in it. When Jesus calls his disciples to him, he sets out the terms, and they, and they sound difficult. Anyone who doesn't carry their cross, that's what prisoners had to do, and follow me, can't be my disciple. He goes on, he talks about counting the cost. He says, people who are building a tower sit down, they estimate what it's going to cost, and he says, those of you who don't give up everything can't be my disciple. There's a cost to being a disciple of Jesus. We lay down our lives. We lay down our independence. We lay down our private ambition. We lay down everything that is me-centered. We have to think about it very carefully. We can't just give Christianity a try. We don't just add Jesus to the rest of our lives. This will cost everything. It disrupts everything. And so the question is, well, why do it? Why do it? Why would anyone do it? Why not go for something less demanding? You could say, Jesus, the church isn't going to grow if that's the deal. That's not an easy in. But yet the church has grown, and millions of people have suffered, millions are martyred, still, still are today, for the sake of Christ. Why? Why would they do that? Well, many reasons, but let's notice this from the passages that we've looked at. When Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and was carried away by the soldiers, he was actually being saved. He was actually being saved by them. Remember the mob? They were, they were getting hold of him. They were trying to kill him. So Paul's arrested, 
and he's carried away, but he's being saved. He would have suffered certain death at the hands of the mob, but the arresting officers took him to a place of safety. What's better, being a Roman prisoner or being a dead man? And what about when he was arrested by Jesus on the Damascus Road? Well, similarly, the road he was on was a road to death and destruction. He says in Ephesians 2, we were once all dead in our transgressions and sins. Sin doesn't look like death at first. It looks attractive. People will seek to lead us into it, but death's where it ends. Sin entices and says no one's going to know, but it humiliates and it destroys. Paul was hurtling toward hell until God came and arrested him. And in arresting him, he saved him. Just in the same way that he was going to die until the Roman army arrested him and saved him. In being arrested, Paul found life. And when he found life, he found true joy, even in his hardships. How would you have finished up if you weren't a Christian? Where were you headed? You were headed the same way, toward death. Toward death. Aren't you grateful that God has arrested you? Aren't you grateful that God has made you his captive? Yes, we're prisoners, but we're prisoners of Christ Jesus. It's like he's handcuffed us to him. We're handcuffed to Jesus. Is there anyone you'd rather be handcuffed to? You, you, you have to go everywhere that Jesus goes. So what a wonderful thing that is. We're handcuffed to Jesus, chained to him. Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, you've got to take up your cross. There's only one way to live. It's the way of Jesus. We follow him. The devil says, it's okay. You can call yourself a Christian if you like and just do your own thing and live the way everyone else wants to. The devil's perfectly happy with that. But radical, wholehearted discipleship, that's going to encounter some opposition. That's why there's so much resistance when it comes to baptism, actually. It talks about baptism being such a decisive turning point. Baptism has a lot of opposition to it. My family are very easygoing about most things. They were fine with me saying I was a Christian. They thought it was a bit excessive, a bit weird. When I said I was going to get baptized, something got stirred up. Uh, and it wasn't the same. Some of, some of Debbie's family were even more antagonistic. One of them suggested that it would be better if she was a drug addict than a Christian, <laughs> than getting baptized. Why do you say that? Because there's some spiritual, it's a decisive point. Muslims who get baptized usually in fear of their life. They're certainly ostracized from their whole community. It's a huge thing. The devil hates it because it's such a decisive moment. Such a decisive moment. We become chained to Christ and the keys get thrown away. Some of you are nervous about being too committed. But look back to your baptism. You died to your old way of life. Now you belong to Jesus. So take courage and live to it. The love of God will draw you in to this wonderful captivity. I mean, can any of us really say we lost out by following Jesus? Betty wouldn't say that. Jackie wouldn't say that. Can any of us say we lost out? Because for every loss that we encounter, there's always more grace. There's always more love. There's always more of Christ. Some people who are prisoners escape 
They're on the run. It's not much worse than that, being a prisoner on the run. Can you imagine? Because it's kind of freedom, but you kind of know you're always going to get found and you could be recaptured. Some Christians are on the run from God. You know what? It's not a good place to be. Life can get difficult and you think, oh, I'm better without it. Like the story of the lost son. Actually, it's better to turn yourself in. God will embrace you just as he embraced the lost son in the story who ran away. Turn yourself in this morning. Tell him you're sorry for messing around, doing your own thing. Come to a realization, actually, you're his. He's arrested you. You want to follow him. Some here might be visitors. Maybe someone's invited you along this morning. You don't, ev- you don't even know much about God before this morning. I tell you, God's got you here because he's on your case. I believe he wants to arrest you. Because whether you knew it or not, you need saving from where you are. Don't be afraid of what God has for you. It's a wonderful captivity. For many of us, we just need reminding of who we are. Let's willingly embrace it as Paul did. We're prisoners of Christ. We always will be, even into eternity. But it's wonderful. John has a, a vision in And in Revelation 22, he describes the new heaven and the earth. And he says, the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants, and it's the same word for slaves or prisoners, will serve him. They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. We'll always be prisoners of Christ Jesus but what a wonderful prisoner to be. What a wonderful place to be. We will find life and joy and we'll reign. And we're part of his family as we were singing earlier. Why don't we stand together? I pray and we'll just, we'll worship God in a moment. I just want to pray. Often we have a response time at, at, the, end of, um, at the end of preachers. In one sense, I... I don't really want us to this morning because what I don't want to do is say, therefore, you need to do this, this, and this because that would just be me telling you what to do with your life. And that's not what it's about. It's about submitting to Christ. And for each one of you, there may be things that have come to your mind, even just as I've been preaching, that God's brought to your mind by the Holy Spirit where you think, actually, yeah, yeah I, this is the decision I need to make on this. Actually, God is leading me in this way. And he's, he's, it's him who's speaking to you. And it's he you need to respond to. So, Father God, I just pray that you'll take my words this morning, Lord. I've sought to be faithful to your word, to scripture. This isn't easy to get hold of, Lord. I know I've wrestled with it this week. But, Lord, I pray take the words that I've spoken that are of you and I pray will you use them and have them live be living and active in people's lives Lord I pray we will know what it means to submit ourselves to you to be prisoners of Christ willingly going where you lead us I pray you'll strengthen us you'll comfort us through the troubles and the hardships Lord you help us to make decisions that others aren't going to understand aren't going to like but you are calling us to. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. 
seal all that you're doing this morning, Lord, by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we worship God together?